My name is Linda and I'll be reading God's Word for you this morning. And we're going to read from Matthew 13, verses 1 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good ground, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the word falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. That's fine? Okay, excellent. Let's pray as we come to the, to the word of the Lord this morning. Dear Lord, we just pray that as we look at this parable, uh, well, very well-known parable, but interspersed with some very interesting teaching about the purpose of the parables, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear, 
and, and minds to understand what you're saying here. I pray that you would help me to speak faithfully from your word and I pray that you would help us to understand, to really understand, to get what this parable is saying and what your word is saying and to be able to apply it to our lives. We ask for this in your name. Amen. So as uh, I've already said in the brief interview with Cam, over the next few months uh, today and then once in October and then again in November, so, uh, sorry, not November, December, so a very spread out series, I plan to go through the parables of Matthew 13 with you in a series that I'm calling Parables of the Kingdom because they're all about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as Matthew calls it. So if you haven't already done so, please turn with me to Matthew 13. It's always a good idea to follow along with the preacher just in case they you know, keep them honest. But it's good so that you can see not just what I'm, hear what, not just what I'm preaching from, so that you can also see how, uh, how I arrive at the conclusions that I come to. So today we'll have a look at the first of the parables that are in Matthew 13, and then we'll have a look at the other ones in the coming months ahead. Now, Matthew 13 is actually the first time that we have parables in the Gospel of Matthew. Most of us know that Jesus spoke in parables a lot. Uh, but do we know why he used parables? And do we know why it takes until chapter 13 until we find parables in the Gospel of Matthew? So before we have a look at these parables, let's have a look, a very brief look, at what's been happening in the Gospel of Matthew up to this point. So that's so that we can situate these parables in the context of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 5 to 7, we have the very famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Many people went up to this mount. Well, it was actually just a bit of a hill, really, but they called it a mountain. And many people came and listened to Jesus. And then in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, we see a lot of action from Jesus. Jesus heals a lot of people. He heals a, a paralyzed person. Uh, and also during this time in chapters 8 and 9, we find the first hints of opposition to Jesus from some of the religious people. In chapter 12, verse 8, Jesus tells everybody that he is the Lord or the Master of the Sabbath. And he does that because he's healing people on the Sabbath. And at this point, the opposition against him from some quarters starts to grow even stronger and gains pace. And so we start to see this division, those people who are interested in, and are following what Jesus says and those people who are becoming more and more opposed to what Jesus says. And then we find this coming to a bit of a head towards the end of chapter 12. In verse 24, the Pharisees, that's a religious group amongst the Jews back then, the Pharisees accused Jesus of working with the devil's power. That's actually a pretty strong accusation. Here they are calling the Son of God, God himself, working with the devil's power. And that was a real line in the sand that Jesus' opponents had now crossed to be able to say such a statement. And then in the last part of chapter 12, Jesus makes it very clear that every person belongs to one of two groups. There are those people with good hearts who produce good fruit in their lives and there are those people with bad hearts that are rotten on the inside and that comes out in their lives by producing bad fruit. And so we see that in the lead up to chapter 13, we can see that there is a polarisation of opinions regarding Jesus. Until in chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says, Whoever 
is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read through this, maybe a question might come up in your mind, and that is, why? Why is it that some people opposed Jesus, while other people accepted his message? And this is not just peculiar to the times of Jesus' day. Today, when you tell people about Jesus, does everybody accept what you have to say? Who finds it when they tell people about Jesus, everybody says, yeah, great, tell me more. Who's had that experience? Jason's shaking his head. Does anyone else tell people about Jesus? We need to. What do we find? Do people accept what we want to say or not? It varies, doesn't it? It varies. Some people accept it, some people are on the fence, and some people just reject it. Why isn't it that when everybody hears this wonderful message of salvation that people don't just immediately repent and become Christians. Surely there's nothing better than having our sins forgiven. Surely there's nothing better than knowing the God of the universe who made us and everything else. And surely there's nothing better than knowing that we can have eternal life. How strange it is that people would reject that. But there's something else that's strange, and that is that sometimes it looks as though some people do accept Jesus but then they backslide. Who's ever known someone, had a friend who has been following Jesus but's not anymore? Are the rest of you not here? <laughs> I mean, I know heaps of people like that. On our TV screen at home, those of you who have visited would know this, but on our TV screen at home, when we're not watching the TV, which is not very often, it's connected to an old computer that randomly cycles through our photo albums. These are photos that I, that myself and Marcella have been taken going back decades. So yes, even before there was digital cameras, we actually went to all the effort of scanning our old film photos, so it goes back decades. And every now and then, it's random, it just pulls the pictures up randomly. Every now and then, a photo comes up of some old friend from a long time ago. Maybe it's a friend from my 21st birthday party. Yes, that was a long, long time ago. Not as long ago as some people here, though. <laughs> Maybe. Stop laughing, Steve. I wasn't talking about you. It comes... Or some friends' weddings. Or photos from church, youth group, or young adults group. Yes, I was a young adult once. I know that's hard to believe. My Christian student uni group. Or friends from when our kids were small. And I see them. Many Christian friends who at the time were zealous for God. And when I see their photo, I often ask myself, where are they now? Often I've lost contact with them, so I don't know. But often I am in contact with them, or I hear about them, or suddenly, as you know, you come in contact with someone who you haven't seen for years. And I see wedding pictures come up of friends who are now divorced. I see pictures of friends come up who were zealous for God but have now backslid and are now far from the Lord and don't even want to talk about him. And this is repeated over and over again. It's not just once or twice. And I find that very sad. I find it very challenging. Sometimes when I bump into someone I haven't seen for years or even decades, ever had that? anyone ever had that happen? Look, it's even happened to me here in Tasmania, people who I knew from Queensland where I grew up. I bump into old acquaintances who I haven't seen for a long time and after a bit of chit-chat, 
I pluck up the courage to ask the question, and this is one of the most fearful questions I ask because I almost, the answer's not always good, and that is, where do you go to church? And so many of them don't go to church. And so many of them are not walking with God. And so many of them don't even want to talk about God. And these were people who, who seemed to be so zealous before. Why? Why is that case? Why is that the case? How can you taste something that is so good as the Lord and throw it away? And today Jesus talks about this. Why some people do not accept his message in the first place and why other people do accept it but don't persevere. And so we read in Matthew 13, the first three verses, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. So Jesus told them these things in parables. Now, the first question to ask is, what's a parable? Basically, a parable is an illustration or an allegory or a riddle. It's saying things in some sort of riddle that someone has to try and work out the meaning of. So let's read this parable or this illustration, but before we read it, because I know this is one of the most well-known parables in the Bible, so probably 95% of you know it already and know what it means, but pretend, I know this is a bit of a hard ask, but pretend that you've never heard it before. Do you think you can do that? <laughs> so just pretend that this is the first time you're hearing it. Imagine that you're there on that shore on the picture there. That is the Lake of Galilee there. And you're listening to Jesus say this for the first time. You're not expecting necessarily some spiritual parallel. And you've got no idea why he's talking about this. And remember, this is the first time in Matthew that we come across a parable. So this is maybe you've heard Jesus lots of times. But this might be the first time you've heard him speaking in a parable. So let's read the parable in verses 3 to 9. Then he told them many things in parables, saying... A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, a bit hard to imagine today, isn't it? But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Who here has ears? What was that? You got two of them? Okay. Now we need to remember that for the people who first heard this, they did not have the interpretation that we have later on in the passage. And we'll look at that interpretation later on. They also did not have all the Christian upbringing that many of us had. So, fair enough. So, for them, when they're listening, all Jesus is talking about is sowing seed. You know, a bit of an agricultural lesson, how you should sow seed and perhaps the best places to sow your seed so that we'll actually produce something. And so, from one point of view, what Jesus says makes a lot of sense. If seed falls on the road, well, that's wasted seed because it's not going to grow. The birds are just going to eat it. If seed falls on rocky ground or amongst thorns, it's also not too good. 
You've got to put your seed in the good soil. So a sensible farmer will do that. Now they probably all knew that. Many of them were probably farmers. Jesus was probably in a village at this time. So a lot of the people would have known a lot about agriculture. But what doesn't make sense about this teaching? Well, I guess the thing is, what doesn't make sense is Jesus is not known as a farmer. He's known as a spiritual teacher. His background is carpentry, not agriculture. Why suddenly is Jesus giving an agricultural lesson and telling farmers how to plant their seeds? Normally, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Why is he suddenly talking about sowing seeds? Maybe it's some kind of illustration. Maybe he's not really talking about sowing seeds. But what is it an illustration about? So no wonder the disciples come up to him later. So this is when the crowds have gone, or perhaps by themselves. But says in verse 10, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? It's a good question, isn't it? Why did Jesus speak in parables? Who's got an answer? What do we often hear? Why does Jesus speak in parables? Sorry? Make it easier. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that. Say that Jesus spoke in parables to help us understand his teaching and that he used everyday examples from real life to help us understand spiritual realities. But actually, is that true? Think about this parable. If you didn't know the answer already, would it be that easy to understand? Honestly, not really, is it? The only reason we understand most of the parables is for two reasons. Either because not long after Jesus says the parable to the crowd, he explains it to his disciples, and then that's recorded in the Bible. That doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen with this particular one. Or if we're Christians, we can look back on the whole of Jesus' life and ministry and reflect on how each parable relates to that. And for those, who have gone, uh, those of you who have gone to Sunday school and grown up in a church all your life, you've probably been, been taught that all your life, what the parables mean. But those people on the shore side, when they're listening to Jesus, did not have those things. So that's why the disciples are asking Jesus this question. Why are you talking to them in parables, in riddles? Why are you speaking to them in a way that's hard to understand? And that's a good question because up till now, up to chapter 12, Jesus has been using plain language, direct language. Why suddenly parables? And then Jesus gives them the answer, which is the opposite to what we're often told about parables. Verses 11 to 13. He, that's Jesus, replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So in fact, it seems like Jesus is saying that the reason for speaking in parables is so that people do not understand or at least many people don't understand can he really be saying that 
Let's have a closer look at verse 11. He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. What Jesus is saying is that in some way, God has given his disciples, that means the people who follow Jesus, the understanding of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. For some people, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, just does not make sense. For others, God has opened their eyes so that they can understand. And that explains why, when you tell people about Jesus, some people think you're mad, while other people think it makes sense because it has been revealed to them by God. But we might ask, isn't it unfair that Jesus speaks in parables or riddles? How can people be expected to understand if they only get spoken to in riddles? Surely we should make the preaching of the good news as clear as we can. But let's remember the context. This is not the first time that Jesus has spoken to the people. This is the first parable we find recorded in Matthew. <coughs> and it's chapter 13, which is a fair way into the book, almost halfway. But even though we are well into Matthew, it is the first time Jesus is speaking in parables. Up till now, he's been speaking very directly, such as the Sermon on the Mount is very direct. The miracles, the raising of the dead, and all the teaching that's gone with that is very direct. In other words, the people who opposed Jesus had already had a lot of clear, direct teaching and they had already made up their minds. Some to the extent of accusing Jesus of being in league with the devil. That's pretty strong. But on the other hand, there were other people who were interested to know more. To them, to those people... God had given the secrets of the kingdom to understand them. And from now on in Matthew, we find that in public, in public, Jesus usually speaks in parables. And the clear teaching was only in private or with genuinely interested people. There comes a time when the line is drawn in the sand. And this is the time in Jesus' ministry when that line is drawn in the sand and why Jesus then says in verse 12, Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That is, the one who has already shown openness to Jesus, who already has some understanding of the kingdom, Jesus will now give more to them, more teaching. But to those who don't, who've closed themselves off, who've rejected everything up to now, they won't get any more. You see, a parable helps those who are already open to God to understand more. But to those who have closed themselves to God's word, parables just do not make sense. So therefore, from now on, in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And then we have one of the saddest fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy, where Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, in verses 14 and 16. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. 
you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. So this quote is from Isaiah 6. And this is the situation in Isaiah 6 where God commissions Isaiah to preach to Israel. But God also told Isaiah that many people, perhaps most people, would reject his message. And it was the same with many of the people, perhaps most of the people of Jesus' days. Their hearts have become so calloused that although they hear the words, they don't understand they refuse to see the wonders of God. And worst of all, they cannot understand. Because if they did understand, they would turn to God. And then God would heal them. And they would be saved. But there are some who understand. And they are Jesus' followers, his disciples. In verse 16, But blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears because they hear. Now as we've gone through this, many of us, including myself, have probably been thinking about family members, about friends, who have continually rejected the good news of Jesus over many, many years. Does this mean there's no hope for them? No, it doesn't. We find other people in the New Testament and the Old Testament too who rejected God's word many, many times over the course of many years and then finally repented. The best known example for that is the Apostle Paul. That's right, who was so against Christianity and then God wondrously brought him to himself. But the point is that at some stage God has to open that person's eyes. As it says in verse 11, and I'm talking about spiritual eyes now, not our physical eyes. As it says in verse 11, God has to give them the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Until that happens, nothing will change. So what does that need, mean for us? As we share our faith with our friends, our loved ones, our family, we need to not just share, but we need to be praying for them. Praying for our loved ones who reject the gospel so that God would open their eyes to the truth. He would give them the secrets, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom so that it would make sense to them and they will understand the good news of Jesus. So let's go back now to our parable. Jesus now goes on to explain the parable of the sower. Most parables he does not explain, but this one he does. But notice, he only explains it to his disciples, not to the crowds. And most of you probably know it and its explanation, but we'll read it anyway. So let's read. What we're going to do is read the bit from the earlier part of the passage where there's the actual parable, and then we'll read the explanation. So for the first lot of seed is in verse 4. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the, along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And then we read the explanation in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This is talking about those people who just don't get the good news of Jesus at all. 
It just does not make sense to them at all. That's like seed sown on the path which the bird, which is birds, which is like an analogy for the devil, just snatches away straight away. But the other three groups of seeds that are mentioned here, each of those groups in some measure does accept the word of God. But only one of those groups has the staying power to persevere with God. And this is where this gets really important for us. Friends, I've been a Christian for 35 years now. I became a Christian when I was 17. So now you can work out how old I am. In that time, in that 35 years, I've seen many people come and go in church life. I've seen people zealous for God who are now far from God and that I find is very difficult, as I've already mentioned. It breaks my heart when I bump into someone who I haven't seen for a long time or see their posts on Facebook and find out that they're no longer in church, they're no longer with God. And I ask myself, why? How can someone have tasted the kingdom of God How can they have tasted of eternal life and rejected it? How can you understand the good news and then reject it? And that's the key word here, understanding. The question is, did they really understand it in the first place? If you look at these groups of people, it says that only the last group, the good soul, actually understood. If you read through it all, it's only the last group where you see that they understood When I say understood, I mean getting it. That's why the title of this message is Getting It. It's not just an intellectual thing that you believe or understand. Who believes that 2 plus 2 equals 4? There's quite a lot of you who either don't or you're asleep. Who does not believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4? Maybe there's a new conspiracy theory going around that's 5 or something. Most of us, probably all of us, believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4, but it doesn't really have much bearing on our lives. What, however, if you are down by the beach and you hear a tsunami warning? Do you believe that tsunami warning? If you do, you'll stop what you're doing, get out of the water and run as far as you can inland. That is a sort of belief that actually affects your life. You get it. Oh, there's a tsunami warning. I better go and run. We're hearing on the news that in Ukraine, people get so used to air raid sirens that they ignore them. They stop believing them until a missile lands on their house. So we are talking about here people who really understand the good news, really understand the difference between heaven and hell, really understand the difference between following God and not following God, that it's no light matter. And this is really important because statistically, in 10 years' time, some of you will be away from God. Because the Christians that I knew, or people who I thought were Christians 10 years ago, not all of them are following God. We don't like to talk about it, but statistically... That's what happens. Let every one of us here not follow those statistics. I want all of us to be still walking with God in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, or however for however long you live, until the day you die. And as we go through this passage, examine yourselves and ask the question, do I really get it, this message about Jesus? So that those other things that could lead me astray will not distract me from following Jesus. For example, let's look at the second group of seeds, 
the parables in verse 5 and 6. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. The explanation is in verses 20 to 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I've seen so many like that. They accept the good news and it looks like they're zealous for God. They even go into ministry, great ministry. But now they're living in sin, far away from God. Even now I'm thinking of people I've known like that. It makes me sad. And if you know people like that, it should make you sad too. Those people had no depth. Their faith was superficial. So when some trial came, they threw their faith in. And I can think of so many examples amongst my friends, and you probably can too, people who I thought were zealous for God. And then some difficulty happens in life. Maybe it's a marital breakdown. Maybe there's a church split. Maybe a close Christian friend lets them down or betrays them. Maybe someone close to them dies a horrible death and it throws them. And let's admit those things throw all of us. I've been there too and they've thrown me. But for those people in this first group, because they had no root, it throws them away from God. But if you truly understand the good news and you get it, then those disasters in life will not throw you away from God, but they will throw you to God. Ask yourself, where are my roots? What are my roots like? Am I building roots in the Lord? Am I spending time in his word, the Bible? That's how he speaks to us. That's how we know what God wants us to do and how to live. Am I spending time in prayer, in church, in Christian fellowship with other believers, so that when life storms come, I will not be uprooted? And then there is the third group of seeds. We read the parable in verse 7. Other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And the explanation is in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is a person who likes what they hear when they hear the good news. Eternal life sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Who wouldn't like to live forever? Being friends with God sounds pretty good. Jesus is my best buddy. But the problem is, is that Jesus is not the only thing in their life. Of course, we all have many things in our life, but he's not the only really important thing in their life. There's other things too, the thorns, which as Jesus explained, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. They choke out the word of God. Again, this is just as true today as in Jesus' time, especially in a country like Australia, where we are told that being aspirational is a good thing. So many friends of mine who, are, who were zealous for God, but God wasn't all there was in their life. They shared their affections with the cares of this world, with money, riches, success, a great career, or other things. Remember, Earlier in Matthew, in chapter 6, 24, 
Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you try and serve both, one day push will come to shove and money or the other cares of the world will win and will choke out the word of God. Well, let's finally get to some good news, the last group. Verse 8 is the parable. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. And then the explanation. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and, what do your Bible say? Understands it. This is the only group. Look at the other groups. This is the only group where it says that they understand it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Now it's not really important so much how much fruit, whether it's a hundred, sixty or thirty, but that there is fruit. But the question for us is, are we good soil? Are our roots deep? Do we have other competing interests? And all of that comes down to the question, have you understood it, really understood it? Have you really got it? Because if you look at all these groups of people and the different places the seed fell, it was only, it was only the last group who really understands the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, they are the only people who really get it. And as we go through the other parables in chapter 13, we will see what getting it means. And when you really understand the good news of Jesus, getting it, then nothing else in life really matters in comparison to knowing Jesus and following him. Nothing else can come against you in this life that will turn you away from following God. Whether it be the temptations of riches or fame or pleasure, successful career, whatever it is, or whether it be the calamities of life, such as divorce, betrayal, ill health, death of a loved one, or financial problems, and you can probably think of a number of other calamities in life that can come across Whatever happens for good or bad nothing nothing if you really understand the gospel nothing will pull you away from god now maybe you might be asking about those other seeds who didn't stay the course does that mean that someone can lose their salvation but think about it the second and the third groups that's the seeds on the rocky ground and amongst the thorns were they actually saved in the first place after all, they heard the word of God and received it with joy, or bits of it anyway, the bits they liked. They tasted God. They even tasted what it's like to have a relationship with God. But they did not really understand the message. They never really got it. And as we will see in the parables at the end of chapter 13, they didn't get it that nothing else really matters when compared to the kingdom of God. So in other words, they weren't really saved in the first place. Because if they were truly saved, if they had really understood and got it, then they would have persevered to the end, no matter what troubles or temptations life dished up. What about us? What about me? What about you? 
Where do you stand? Have you understood the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you understood that you are a sinner, I am a sinner, that we deserve God's anger and wrath and punishment for eternity? Have we really understood that Jesus Christ came into the world and died on the cross as a substitute for our sins? And he rose from the dead again so that we could share in victory over death. Have we really understood that to partake, to enjoy that, to be able to have that forgiveness of our sins and eternal life, we need to repent and trust and follow Jesus. Are your roots deep? Is the kingdom of God and God's righteousness your goal in life? Or is it shared with other things? If you're not sure, then pray. Pray to God that he would help you to truly understand and give you those secrets of the kingdom so that you would get it. So that in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, right to the end of your life, however long you might live, that you persevere in the faith, trusting in Jesus for your salvation and bearing good fruit in your life until the end. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that you would help each one of us to examine our hearts and see where we stand with you. I pray that you would help us to really know what it is to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, to really understand that this is life and death for eternity, to really understand that we have offended you by our wrongdoing and rebellion against you, to really understand that you sent Jesus Christ into the world to save us from our sins, but we need to repent and trust and follow you. To really understand that through his resurrection, if we've done that, if we truly understand and follow you, that we can also share in that eternal life and victory over death. I just pray, Father, that you would open everyone's eyes and ears here who has not already had them open, and you would help us all to persevere to the end. We ask for this in your name. Amen.